Hey dreamers, welcome to another episode of the Money Matters podcast. Today's episode is covering everything from printing money to credit card debt and the rise of afterpay because why do one when you can do it all? Here to help us jump from one financial woe to the next is Justin Joffe, the co-founder of Flux, a tech meets content platform educating young Australians about money in all the ways school doesn't. But before we dive in, it's time to share a money win of the week. This week, Amanda applied for a tax file number and is getting ready to start applying for jobs. Go, Amanda. We love celebrating you on all your big and small wins throughout your journey, so be sure to submit your money wins on the forum for your chance to be featured and to win extra points in the Dreamers Hub. Justin. Welcome to our podcast today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We're so excited to have you here. Thanks, Maddie. Before we get started and dive into today's episode, can you please tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how you got into it? Sure. So as you said, I am I'm the co-founder of Flux um, and Flux is essentially meant to be the entry point for young Aussies and their journey onto uh, understanding money a little bit better. Um, essentially the origin came from when we were at uni and starting out in our professional lives and really wanting to know more about the business world and our personal finances, but not being able to find an entry point into money at all. I think for a lot of people, including myself who studied commerce, um, the type of information out there can be overwhelming and largely not beginner friendly. Uh, so people feel like outsiders, they don't understand the jargon. And if you don't have a background in commerce, um, it becomes really difficult. So Flux is basically here to bridge the gap and give you the skills to have more confidence to play in this space. Um, and I think as we're going to touch on throughout this podcast, financial literacy is becoming important and even more important, especially as you know, in the current climate of COVID with Gen Z and young millennials trying to navigate their money. Um, so we are here to make people feel more confident through, as you said, content, through media and through tech tools as well. I definitely wish there was a platform and a program like Flux when I was at school, because I think it would have helped me out in lots of different ways for things where you get <laughs> thrown out into the world and you don't know what tax is. You don't know how to make sure that you're budgeting your money right and what inflation is or what rates mean. And yeah, definitely yeah, exactly. I think would have helped a lot. Um, now my first question is around printing money. They do it in Monopoly. They do it in the (laughs) Netflix special money heist. Please tell me why can we not just print more money when we need it, give it to the people who need it most, but also just have more money in the economy when for some unknown reason, budgets are in billion dollar debts. I don't understand it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a good question. It's a question that everyone asks all the time. The short answer is, I mean, technically we can, and governments do print money every single year. Um, you often hear the saying, "Money doesn't grow on trees," but money does actually grow in the in the Royal Mint of Australia and every mint around the world, like Money Heist. But um, unfortunately, printing more money doesn't actually mean we'll have more wealth in the world. Um, you know, a, a central bank can print more money, but the idea can also be very dangerous because it results in all the money that currently exists actually losing its value. Um, and when we talk about value of money, you know, money doesn't have an intrinsic value. I mean, if you gave a $50 note to a, a monkey and you said, let me buy something from you, he wouldn't recognize it. There's no value in that particular piece of uh, the note. 
Um, but it, it, money exists because we all understand it as having value, but just printing more money can really affect the economy um, because everyone has more money and then the value of everything in the economy increases and the existing amount that we currently have deflates, which causes inflation. Yeah, so that reminds me of when I was at in high school and we spoke about um, the First or Second World War and they spoke about inflation and they spoke about the, I think it was like the price of or the cost of bread, like you could mm. trade a loaf of bread for something that it ended up being a huge amount of money. Um, can you give me a bit more information about what inflation is and what does that mean in particular if we're looking at renting or buying a house or buying anything else that costs money? How does inflation then work in a sure. real life example? Um, so imagine your game of Monopoly. Let's say there's only $1,000 in the, the game of Monopoly going around um, and all of a sudden there is another $1,000 that's just put in the game. Um, so everyone thinks, great, there's another $1,000 going around. But it's really a bit of an illusion because we still only have one Mayfair, we still only have one Park Lane, um, but everyone has more money. So the demand for these properties rises and therefore it pushes up the prices of the existing goods and services. Um, and essentially that's inflation because we're devaluing our own currency because we're printing too much money too fast. And I think, Maddie, as you touched on with um, you know the 1920s in Germany, I think it was something like 4.2 trillion German marks was the equivalent of one US dollar. Um, and this has even happened more recently in Zimbabwe in the 2000s where the government was forced to print $100 trillion bills. So, you know, you could walk around with um, a suitcase worth of, of trillion-dollar bills, but it was actually really quite worthless. It could only buy you a, a loaf of bread. Um, so just printing more money doesn't necessarily mean we have more money uh, as, as a society. Um, it needs to be done in a very careful manner, which is what the Reserve Bank, which is the nation's bank, does. So for context for those people like me who have spent the COVID lockdown watching Netflix's Money Heist, mm. uh, when they did print all the money in the Spanish Mint, they couldn't actually do anything with it or in reality it would just mean that everything would go up and they'd kind of screw up the Spanish economy. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so in the example of Money Heist, which I've watched as well, it is an entertaining show. Um, that's right. It, it essentially, I think they printed almost a trillion dollars and um, it's great for them because it means for those select people, they would have probably a trillion dollars more, but it would devalue the remainder of the Spanish economy. And so I thought it was quite ironic that you have, um, you know, the whole community and, and people in, in the series who are celebrating um, these criminals because they're standing up for, you know, all, all the everyday people in, in um, Spain but they also are devaluing the economy and could potentially ruin it if that happened in real life. Super interesting. And, I mean, having more money sounds like a dream for anyone, myself included. I definitely dream of winning the lottery and all the different things that I would spend that money on. Um, so it's easy for us to understand why so many of us can assume that printing more money would solve all of our problems, but in reality it doesn't. So why is it that the ideas of credit cards then are so appealing? Well, I think... Um you know, credit cards are basically, as most people would know, is it's a, it's a plastic card that's issued by a financial institution and it has a credit limit on it. Um, and essentially what that means is that you can spend up to that limit in any month. Um, 
that might be $50,000. And so that enables you to spend $50,000 upfront and then repay that money over a 30-day, 60-day or a 30-year period. Now, that seems enticing to a lot of people because it means it's, there's that instant gratification that I can buy whatever I want today and now. But in reality, um, there's a lot of complications with that. And especially if you don't make that repayment in a short period of time, there are a lot of costs involved in that too. Yeah, so it's interesting. It's kind of like we're spending money then that we don't have. That's right. It's it's a credit product. Um, and what that means is that essentially the bank is giving you a loan. Um, so a credit card is just another form of loan. Um, and that means you need to repay it. And generally with all loans, unless you have a very friendly party who's giving you that loan, there's interest associated with that. Um, now that interest can range anywhere between 1% or 2% a year to 30 to 40% a year. And um, for a person who doesn't isn't familiar with interest rates, that can mean that a loan of $1,000, if you're paying 10% on it, that means you're paying $100 extra every single year on that loan. Wow. That's very interesting. I don't think I've ever thought about it like that. And I think that's because I've always grown up with credit cards having this very neg- negative stigma around it. Like you don't get a credit, everyone, you don't want bad credit. Someone who hears the word credit, it's immediately shut down because it's associated with debt. But credit cards are not all bad. Should anyone get a credit card and how can we, if we get credit cards, how can we manage them better? Sure. Um, yeah, I think like with credit cards, there are a range of different credit cards. Um, the credit card that I was speaking of is the traditional style of credit card. But some people use credit cards in a really smart way. Um, for instance, you can get extra reward points or you can get, um, so by reward points, I mean like frequent flyer points so you can travel and free travel insurance and perks. Um, and they're all associated with credit cards, which can be really positive. And if you are savvy and on top of your finances, it can definitely be a really cost-effective way to take your next next holiday. Um, but the operative word is really if you can be responsible with your finances. Um, and so yeah. I think anyone, if you pay for something on a credit card, you have 30 days to repay it generally without any interest on that credit card. So if you pay back within that period, there's no issue. Um, it's when you start to delay those credit cards or those repayments or you start to pay back a smaller portion of the total amount, that's when it can become, can become really dangerous and, and spiral out of control. So if any of our listeners today are listening to this and thinking about potentially getting a credit card or looking into a credit card, what is some of your advice as to what to look out for? How much to borrow? How do we understand that information? And more importantly, what questions should we ask our bank before we open or close an account in particular? Sure. So the first thing I'd start with is making sure you understand the reason why you're taking out the card. Um, If it's because you want to... um, spend irresponsibly for a short period of time, I would strongly recommend against taking out a credit card. (laughs) Um, If it's for a particular reason that you need to get over a certain hump, then it it can make sense. But when you're applying for a credit card, you have a credit limit, which um, which is what you apply for. As I mentioned previously, that means that it's the maximum amount that you can spend on that card in a particular month. Never put a credit limit at the maximum, which is what the banks really want you to do. Um, that encourages you to spend more. It also impacts on your credit co- credit score more critically. And 
it's just, um, it, it's a dangerous habit because it's sitting there. It basically feels like free funds for a 30 day period, um, but is absolutely going to catch up with you later down the track. So make the credit limit the minimum you need to get over this particular period of time. The other things I'd say is always look at the interest rate. Um, as I said, that interest rate will be very important if you don't make repayments within the 30-day period. Um, make sure you go for the lowest interest rates in the market if possible. That sits Normally, that's around 10 or 11%, but as I said, it can reach up to 30%. Um, and with a lot of cards, there are other costs associated with them, like an establishment fee, which is a fee you just pay up front. Some of them have monthly fees and some of them have exit fees as well. And so with all of these cards, you need to weigh up all of these costs together as opposed to one of the costs individually. Yes. Wow. Okay. So you mentioned credit score. How do you, I've heard credit score before. I've heard people talk about it all the time, but I've never really known what it is or how I find my credit score. How would I, how would I do that? (laughs) Sure. So um, a credit score is essentially a number between zero and 1200. For some credit bureaus, it's a score between zero and 1000. And essentially it's a score where something called a credit bureau makes and sets a number that assesses how risky you are as a borrower. Um, Banks look at your credit score when you're applying for a loan. So it's a really important number because if your score is low, the bank actually might reject your credit card application or your loan application because they see you as being a higher risk than someone else. And you can get your credit. What we recognized at Flux as well is that the current credit score providers in the market were insufficient. Um, so we've actually created our own credit score tool, which is free. And um, I don't want to plug our own product here, but it, it is a free uh, tool that's on the Flux website. And we break it down simply, which is what we do with everything in the Flux app. Um, but essentially, you, you want to build up your credit score over time. And you can do that by making repayments on time, by not taking out large credit limits, as I mentioned previously, and also just absolutely at the core, making sure you make every single repayment. This is definitely something I'm going to do after um, we finish our podcast today is go and check my credit score because it's just something I'm super interested in to find out where I'm sitting on the credit score scale. I'm sure you'll be very Um, high, Maddie. That's good to know. I really hope so. Um, (laughs) One of the things that I found, especially during our COVID lockdown here in Melbourne, is that I have been uh, online shopping a lot. It's something I've spoken about a few times on this podcast, which is probably an issue I should deal with (laughs) later. Um, But one of the things I have tried to do as little as possible is use the concept of afterpay or zip pay, kind Mm -hmm. of that buy now, pay later mentality, which um, I remember when we used to go into stores and I was younger, my mum used to do it a lot with lay-by. Like we used to go and Mm -hmm. we used to put something on lay-by and go and pay it off and then we'd go and pick it up. But now through online shopping, you can actually buy it, get it, and then pay it off. So it's a little bit different than yeah. lay-by. Um, we've seen a massive rise in afterpay and online shopping. So talk to me a little bit about why <laughs> this is so popular and is it a little bit too good to be true? Are we better <laughs> off just spending our money on one purchase rather than paying it off over time? Sure. So um, you mentioned afterpay, which is obviously the biggest in this space. And the space is called the buy now, pay later space. Um, and as you mentioned, it is different from lay by, which was actually um, pay now, buy later. 
Um, so it's kind of a bit of a flip. And, that, and that's the beauty of Afterpay is that you, you get the item up front um, and then you pay it off in uh, fortnightly installments or for some of the other players. It's um, different arrangements of installments. Um, so if you're looking to buy a computer that's $1,000, you can pay it off at $250 now, $250 in two weeks, et cetera. Um, and it's, what they've done as well is they've built a really impressive user experience around shopping. Um, Afterpay's also gone global now as well as Zip and a few other players in the market. And it's a really impressive concept um, and it can be a really great way to, um, but, uh, to be used as a budgeting tool and to track your expenses, um, which can actually then benefit your financial position because you're not dipping into your savings. But there's a big but. <laughs> um, <laughs> the problem, as we've mentioned previously, is that if you're not familiar with your financial circumstances and you're looking at every single purchase um, at, as the upfront cost rather than the total cost, it can lead you into a, a spiral and compound into a large amount of debt. Um, what I mean by that is we've heard stories of people who go into shops um, and they ask, what is the afterpay price of something? And what that means is if it's a $400 pair of shoes, they're asking, what is the price I need to pay up front? Um, now, that's pretty dangerous because it means that people are only worried about how much they need to pay today as opposed to what the total cost of those goods are. So I'd say that if you are using Afterpay or, or any of those buy now, pay later companies as a budgeting tool, I think it's great. Um, it's really revolutionized the whole way that purchasing can be done um, in store and online. But if you are just considering the upfront cost and not thinking about the costs that are going to come in two weeks' time, in four weeks' time, in six weeks' time, then it can become really, really dangerous. Is there a fee structure with Afterpay? So when I buy a product with Afterpay, do I have to pay additional fees or am I paying exactly the same amount for the product just in four separate payments? Yeah, so you're actually paying the same amount for the product just in four separate payments. And that's that's the beauty of it, as I said, as a budgeting tool because it just spreads out the payments. Um, they actually charge the retailers, um, which means that that's really the way that cu- customers can benefit from this. Um, I guess the risk is if you don't make your payments on time, there are late fees. And those late fees can be um, you know, $5, $10. I think there's a maximum. I'm not entirely sure what that is. But um, yeah, by and large, if you pay on time, you won't pay any more than you would have otherwise buying it upfront. That's really good to know. What piece of advice would you give your younger self about money that business and flux and growing up has instilled in you now? Yeah, I'd say understanding money. And Maddie, you touched on this earlier that at school, we learn a whole range of different things, but we don't learn about a tax return. We don't learn about superannuation. You know, we learn about trigonometry and algebra, which is great to pass your year seven and year eight exams, but I've never used trigonometry in my um, in my adult life. Now, that's not to say some people won't, but I think um, some of those practical skills are really important. So for my younger self, I'd say just understanding a little bit more about superannuation, which will impact you when you're older, understanding just broadly how tax works, um, and most importantly, setting aside some money. Uh, you know, a simple way to do this might be just setting aside 20% of any earnings you're making, if that's babysitting or if that's, you know, working um, at a local store 
and starting to explore different ways in which you can use that money. So that might be um, setting up an online store or it might be um, investing in the share market or it might be doing something that challenges you to understand more about money. And while there's no guarantee that what you'll do with that money will be a success, learning from a young age about money and how to manage your money is really, really important and sets you up for success as you continue to grow up. Thank you so much for sharing your story today. I know I've learned a lot and there are so many things I'm going to do after we finish recording today. If our dreamers want to learn more about you and Flux and anything else you're doing, where can they find you? Sure. Well, we have a daily business new podcast called What the Flux um, in Apple um, podcast app in Spotify. And you can also check us out at flux.finance. Awesome. I know where I'm going. Thank you so much for joining us today, Justin. No worries. Thanks, Maddie. Now it's time for Dreamer Diaries. Each week, we'll follow the adventures of two young carers, James and Julie, on their journey to owning their finances. James continues to find himself short on cash at the end of each month and is unsure what else he can do to tie himself over. He works, studies, and takes care of his younger brother. There's little room for him to do more, and while he does like to treat himself and his loved ones on occasion, he considers himself a smart shopper and eager saver. After talking to a friend about their saving tips, James considers getting a credit card, but he's anxious at the thought of becoming tap-happy and claiming too much debt he can't control. Rather than go online and order a card, James decides to visit a bank with his current budget in mind. He discusses his financial situation with a banker, how much he earns, and his role as a young carer. He explains how much more money he would need to feel slightly more comfortable, but expresses his concerns about opening a credit card. He stresses that while he is open to having a credit card, he doesn't want to be tied down to an account for a long time and does not want to have a huge supply of cash. Based on James's needs, the banker suggests a credit card with a $500 limit over 12 months. This is more than James needs, but not completely out of the ballpark. Together, they devise a new spending and savings plan so James can still live within his means with enough to pay off the credit card later. Julie has wanted a new laptop for several months now. She's had her current one for a few years and while it's still working, it has started to crash and stall more frequently. Julie relies on her laptop every day for school and work, but despite needing a new one, she can't afford to spend $1,000 to get it. Worried her laptop may stop working at any minute, Julie scrambles to think of ways to buy a new one. She looks online but can't find one in her price range. After some research, she narrows down two pathways. One laptop is retailing at $1,500, but offering Afterpay, which would allow her to purchase the laptop and pay it off in four fortnightly installments of $375. Another laptop on Facebook Marketplace is the same model, but has been used for a few years and is being sold for $600. Julie earns $150 a week at her casual job, so she doesn't have enough money to pay $375 a fortnight for the afterpay option, but can if she saves over the course of two months. But she realizes that she can save the $600 quicker and won't be stretched financially. 
she decides to message the seller on Facebook Marketplace, who is happy to hold the laptop for her for a few weeks if she pays $50 as a down payment. Julie agrees and feels relieved knowing she can manage her budget safely without the added stress of having more money than she can afford deducted from her account. this episode. This week, I challenge you to consider some of the things you want to purchase and what other avenues or alternatives there are to buy them. Is there a cheaper or older model? Is there a sale or secondhand option? Often, we follow our panicked impulses and buy before we think. But when we take the time to consider a purchase, we often realize there is a less stressful way to pay for it or that we don't really need it at all. Remember, you can share your progress with us on the forum on the Dreamers Hub. Bye for now.